You're listening to the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. Whether this is your first time joining me or your hundredth, thank you for being here and being a part of this important conversation. In June 2018, I was tired of being asked by the intuitive eating groups to take my conversations about intermittent fasting elsewhere. At the same time, the conversation in the intermittent fasting community wasn't addressing the emotional and spiritual needs of my IF lifestyle. Before I knew it, the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group was up and running, and I started this podcast. I am super excited to bring you the personal stories of folks who are combining intuitive eating and intermittent fasting successfully, and really creating lives that bring them joy and meaning. Hi everyone, Andrea here. And I am super excited to be chatting with Ali Shapiro. Ali is the founder of Truce with Food, host of the top-ranked podcast, Insatiable, a holistic nutritionist, integrated health coach, and rebel with a serious cause. She's academically, practically, and empathetically aware of how the medical system, diet culture, and body positivity movements all have their own flavor of crazy. She created her Truce with Food method while in graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania, where she earned her master's in organizational dynamics, which is like getting an MBA in the change process, where she drew from the decade plus of working with real life clients and her own personal healing journey from having cancer as a teenager. And I found Allie when um, starting my intuitive eating journey, I came across her podcast, which again is called Insatiable. I highly recommend it and really resonated with her approach to um, intuitive eating and um, some of the messages that she shares within her podcast and really looking forward to sharing um, a conversation with her tonight. So Allie, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me. Yeah, Andrea, thanks for asking me. Um, It's always fun to talk with with those of us on the path. (laughs) Yeah, and it's uh, it's a challenging path at times. (laughs) Oh, it's an ass kicker. <laughs> Am I allowed to um, say that? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that. Um, so when when I reached out to you about having a conversation, um, you know, I was upfront about the fact that I practice um, sort of an intuitive form of intermittent fasting, and one of the things that I really like about um, some of your messaging and your podcast is that you seem really open to folks finding their own path as far as food goes, um, as long as it's sort of arrived at with, you know, with, uh, I don't know how you would describe it, but I guess I'm interested in your thoughts. Like when somebody comes to you and says like, this is something I'm interested in, how do you sort of navigate that with them? Yeah. So I think, I think the first thing is, is that, you know, we tend to think that the, that the food piece and the emotional piece, um, are, I, they are separate, but they're also together, right? And so as you, when you're working with someone, you have to think, and again, this is what I put my adult development, adult learning hat on, is what is someone motivated to change? And really what's coming, like where are they in pain and where are they ready to like dig a little deeper to get some more freedom? Mm-hmm. And so having done this now for 11 years, I would say the food is about 20% of it. And the, the, um, 
the the emotional piece is 80 percent um but just like you know when you're trying to get in shape food is 80 percent of it and and movement is 20 percent. you need both and Mm -hmm. even though i'm giving it those percentage of weights they feed into each other sure so if someone is really grasping for what to eat and that feels to them like the most important thing then i recommend we start with that if they're like no i know what to eat and I just don't know why I'm not doing it. Um, then we start with the emotional piece. However, having said that, most people aren't really eating what they what is working for them. <laughs> but I'm not about to tell someone, let's start there, if they're really motivated on the emotional piece. So I really look at what is the person intuitively feeling is their next step? Because if my whole goal is to get them to trust themselves, I want them to start to trust um, trust where they are at that moment. Yeah. And so like, you know, I have my own experience of, um, trusting or rather not trusting myself around food, but do you have any sort of, um, you know, short anecdote that you could share of like what that might look like for, you know, a a sample of your, the folks you work with? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I had struggled with binge eating, emotional eating for 18 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you are in that certain kind of hell, and there's a, it's a special kind of hell, <laughs> um, because it's, you know, you're kind of, at least I can speak from my own experience. And what a lot of my clients tell me is like, okay, I am disciplined enough to have a job. I'm disciplined enough to be a good parent. You know, I'm disciplined enough to um, take care of everyone else in my family. It's this like very big frustration of why can't I get this food thing right mm-hmm. and, and feel safe around food and free around food. And those are two different things that we can, we can talk about. But I think when people, they, the thing that they can trust is that they can figure this out, Hmm. even though they've been trying for so long. Um, And, and to be candid, I'm often people's last resort, Hmm. um, which is to them feels like the last resort to me. I'm like, Oh, you're finally willing to put the barriers and the walls down, that this is just a willpower and discipline Mm. when you're actually open. And even though you can be tired and exhausted when you're listening to that voice, that is a little faint (laughs) at the time. um, But we help grow it. That says there has to be a better way. And I think that's really exciting. I know people are coming to me exhausted, but it's a, it's the spark in them that is like, there's more to this than I've been told. And that the way that I've been trying there, there is a different path. And, and I think it can be tricky because, you know, healthcare clearly is broken. Um, and well, the wellness industry has kind of popped up as a replacement, but it's the wild, wild West. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are recreating the same capitalistic patriarchal problems of the medical system, um, but on the wellness side, right? Um, you know, I don't know, diet culture had Fen Fen and, and now wellness has like supplements and powders, right? It's like natural powder. <laughs> it's like the same thing, but uh, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent. But I think when people are truly open to looking at the emotional side of things um, is when um, they, I know that they're, they're listening to that, that intuitive side of them. Um, or the food stuff. If some of my clients, I should also say, come to me with certain diagnoses, right? Like depression, like anxiety. Um, and because that is the pain point, that's the biggest, we do start there. Um, although there's always an emotional component. So 
you can work on both at the same time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm curious in hearing a little bit about um, like the safe and free around food. I don't know if it's easier to start with one over the other, but can you talk a little bit more about how that manifests itself? Yes, yes. So, you know, I had read some of your blog posts, which were so excellent at laying out the clear issues. And I think a lot of programs um, in this wellness space speak of food freedom, right? It's a very popular hashtag on Instagram and this concept. Um, but I think, especially in America, we confuse safety and freedom. And so to me, free safety is often following someone else's plan and restricting in a way based on someone else's ideas. And it's people will 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 sell it as food freedom because maybe um, you don't have as many cravings or you have to then feel your feelings when you want to eat or whatnot. Um, however, that's safety in a way. You're still following someone else's path. You're eliminating uncertainty. And to me, freedom is actually a lot of work. Freedom is much more agile. It's much more flexible. It's much more intuitive. It's saying freedom looks different at every moment. So for example, if you're at a party and you want to partake in cake, the freedom there is not following someone else's plan. It's saying, I want that. And I trust myself to have a piece and forget about it and move on with my life. Mm -hmm. And freedom takes a lot to me. Food freedom is actually based on understanding the emotional triggers and why we feel powerless in our lives. And by power, I mean, without choice, not just around trying to follow someone else's food plan, but when we're stressed out. Um, so a lot of people think, well, this is just how my, I have a crappy boss and that's just how it is. Or my kids are really difficult and this is just how it is. Or um, I'm depressed and this is genetic in my family. I have a ton of genetic uh, depression in my family. And when I was cycling through antidepressants, I thought this is just my lot in life. Um, but we often have other choices when we're really to do the work of self-awareness more than focusing on the food that can give us freedom so that we can really understand what we want in the moment versus what we've learned from diet culture, what we've learned even, I would say, from intuitive eating. I'm, I'm not actually trained in intuitive eating. My end goal is that people are intuitive, but you have to understand the emotional reasons that your emotions overpower you <laughs> that feels like, oh, I just really love food, right? So we kind of have to separate that defensiveness versus intuition. Is that is that clear or did I kind of go on a tangent? <laughs> no, that um, that is very clear. And I mean, I think, you know, you talked about um, not having been formally trained intuitive eating, but yet helping people find an intuitive relationship with food. And I think that to me, that sort of speaks with what I've observed that even a lot of the intuitive eating folks, it, they, it seems to me to be very black and white in some ways. And there's so much more gray to the conversation than I feel like, um, like that's getting airtime, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because again, the same way that I, I joke that the wellness industry is sometimes putting lipstick on the patriarchy. I think sometimes intuitive eating with, and again, people practice it differently and, and they've studied it and they interpret it differently. It's often putting the same, to your point, like rules and regulations around, ironically, what's supposed to be an intuitive process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, um, so one thing I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on, and, and I've 
um, struggled with this, and I know from some of my the members of my Facebook group have struggled with this as well, is um, like the the notion of being powerless and the, being without choice. And so, you know, um, a lot of folks now, like keto is all the craze, right? And so you have, I, I know like so many people in my work environment, for example, are now doing keto. And so they're doing this very low carb thing. And, and then I know other people who they stop doing it because it, you know, no longer works for them or they got to their goal weight or whatever, you know, whatever it might've been, but it wasn't like a life choice for them. It was just sort of a temporary fix. And then they end up binging on the carbs because they were so, you know, deprived for so long and then they feel powerless and, you know, oh, I must be addicted and all this sort of stuff. And so I'm interested in like how that, how that, um, your experience with people sort of wrestling with that, you know, the chaos in the beginning, or I, I don't know, I would perceive it as chaos as when I got started with my intuitive eating stuff, but do you know what I'm saying? Is that kind of clear? <laughs> yeah, 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 no, totally. And that's part of often why I think intuitive eating and why, even though that's my end goal, I don't approach it that way. I like to give people frameworks because often that chaos or that uncertainty um, is what people, is the big emotional trigger that is causing people to diet and causing people to feel restricted in their life. It's really an emotional restriction <laughs> of, of, it's a metaphor, right? And so, um, in the beginning, I always recommend, like I always teach people blood sugar and gut health because that gives you a discernment tool of saying, all right, how do I know what works for me here and there? Um, and that is the food piece to this. Now, having said that, if we, we talk about when we hear, okay, now keto is the fad. Um, and what happens, usually people think they're falling off the keto diet, but usually what I hear from clients is, well, life happened, right? Like I, I didn't get to the grocery store or I was at an event and the, the cupcakes look so good or something like this. Right. Mm -hmm. And because we're so trained to think it's about the food, we don't say, we don't think, well, what was it about the social situation that made those cupcakes look really good? The where I was feeling powerless actually on the surface was, okay, I'm not allowed to have those cupcakes <laughs> on a food level, but what, how, how at the social situation was I feeling powerless? And I can give you some concrete examples. A lot of my clients are introverted and they feel like, oh, if I'm at an event, I get drained and they think they have to stay there the whole time or they have to put their on face on. <laughs> I don't know if, if that resonates with your audience, but like I've got to be on. Yeah. And so where they're really feeling powerless is in how they're managing the evening. And then the cupcakes are just kind of this compensated reward. Well, I have to be here. And, uh, and we're just trained to think that food is so powerful and we need more rules around it versus saying, wait a second, you know, if I can't get to the grocery store, okay, how do I deal with that uncertainty and handle a little and offer myself a little bit more flexibility? Um, but we often think that we're failing if we're not perfect, right? And so it's the story underneath the uncertainty or it's the social event. You know, a lot of clients feel socially anxious. That's why they drink, right? It's like, oh, it's a social lubricant. <laughs> um, yeah. It makes me feel like I'm having a good time, right? Um, and so those are kind of two different examples, but it's always what is happening internally? What does it bring up in us um, that versus thinking it's the, the keto or the not getting to the grocery store or the social event? What is really triggering us inside and kind of this cascade that leaves us 
no no choice. And if you want, I can kind of outline the exact spiral that happens when we yeah. quote unquote fall off. Okay. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. So first of all, I, you know, we are, and again, I'm speaking as a North American, (laughs) um, but we, we have a very linear culture. In other words, we think that everything kind of happens in a straight line. And so the food is about the food, but I really encourage people to think of a more holistic system, right? So if you think of a plant, I use the plant metaphor. I'm a big I'm a big believer in nature. You know, the seed and what sprouts up, it depends on what's in the soil. It depends on the sun, the um, on the light, on the rain, the, the type of food you feed it, right? And the same is with our choices. And so what we're making at a, a point in time, especially like nighttime eating, or when we quote, fall off diets, it's more about the conditions that are in our lives um, that are creating those. And so what what I figured out in my graduate school research and in working with private clients is what I call this auto eating spiral. And we could call it the root cause of why we quote unquote fall off <laughs> our, our keto or eat all the carbs or, or feel tempted by food. And this spiral can happen in the moment or it can be, it can build over the day or it can build over the week or it can build over the months that we're trying to di- trying to restrict ourselves in a certain way with food, but it's also usually how we end up restricting ourselves emotionally too. Hmm. And so the spiral is, it starts with an emotional trigger. And again, it's not necessarily getting on the scale and it not being what you want, or um, all these carbs being away around, or not getting to prep all your meals. It's it's the uncertainty often. That's a huge trigger for, for people who struggle with food. It was, I I realized my own, you know, falling off and on was basically, um, because I had lost any resilience around uncertainty as a result of being diagnosed with cancer. And I was dealing with PTSD and unresolved trauma. Um, and I was just taking it out with food because I felt so powerless. So I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through the whole spiral. So you have this emotional feeling. And again, it's not what's happening on the outside. It's what does it bring up in you? And then we connect it to a story. So we use my example. When I was uncertain at 13, it was life or death. But because I never learned (laughs) to heal, every time uncertainty happened, I thought it was like make or break. I'm going to fail. It's the stakes are high. So in high school, when I became obsessed with exercise, if because when you're a 14 year old girl and you want to be healthy after going through cancer, you confuse being thin with being healthy. And so if I couldn't make it to work out, it was like, oh, this, I'm unhealthy, right? This is the end. And then I would binge because that felt so powerless. I felt mm-hmm. so powerless in that moment. I didn't know that was what was happening. I thought I needed better nutrition information. So you have a trigger. It's it's connected to a story. And story is really big in the personal development world these days, but it's often used um, very differently for people often who struggle with food. A lot of times people will tell you it's the story you're making up in your mind. But what I've seen with my clients is this story was really real at one time, often in childhood or you know early adulthood. Um, and so your nervous system is reacting. This is not something that you can just think your way out of. The powerlessness is basically this like it, this like nervous system fight or flight. And as a result, we then have a stress response. And I'll get into the stress responses once I give you kind of the whole thing. And the stress response um, produces certain behaviors. And then we do these behaviors and then we feel powerless in the moment and then we eat. 
So for example, with me, I, so a big, um, to work through my food issues, I had to work on what's called the accommodator stress response. And these are based on the Thomas Kilman conflict model, which is basically if when we're in, when we are attaching our emotions to a story, we feel like we're in conflict or that something's wrong or that we're defensive and we're worried about something. And so accommodating um, is when you're basically following someone else's plan. And, you know, I had accommodated my doctors when I was 13, which was really beneficial to me. It was really protective to do that Mm -hmm. because the chemo and the radiation and and all the testing they did saved my life, right? (laughs) So I had learned to accommodate really well, Um, but it was no longer working for me because the, what I was told about how to be healthy and how to eat and how to lose weight and just all of that was was actually incorrect. But I didn't know that because I was going through this unconscious process. Hmm. Another stress. And when you're accommodating, some of the behaviors that come out from that is following someone else's plan, listening to the experts, right? Trying to get all the gold stars <laughs> based on someone else's plan. Another stress response is avoidance. And this is a big one with clients. So everyone has their own unique trigger, their own unique story. And then a lot of people go into avoid mode, which is when we procrastinate, right? <laughs> when, we, um, when we just kind of avoid in a, a very tactical way that people avoid with food is rather than working on the emotional stuff, they're like, I just need to find a better diet, right? So like I was doing intermittent fasting, but now keto's the rage. So I'm actually going to avoid <laughs> looking at the emotional stuff and I'm going to, and I'm going to try to go to the food or you know what? Diet starts tomorrow. I, I'm just going to put put this off <laughs> um, and and worry about it when there's an easier time. Hmm. And the avoiders, again, avoiding was protective at one point, um, but now it's causing us even in our and, and this pattern happens emotionally as well, right? A lot of people will avoid speaking up at work or avoid talking, putting boundaries around things, and then they just feel like they're always looked over or they get resentful or why is anyone asking them for help? And then they eat because they feel powerful. And they're like, this is just how the people are in my life, or this is just how I am. I just had a client the other day. She's a big avoider, and she's like, I put all these walls up. Um, and she that's not who she is, that's how she's learned to be to protect herself. Um, and then the other response is the competitor. And so often when we're in our story and feeling vulnerable, we will compete. And when we compete, we compare ourselves to others. And because we're or we compare ourselves to our old bodies and say, How am I ahead or behind? How am I winning or losing? Um, And often the behaviors there are to isolate ourselves. We don't get the support we need. We just try to work harder and faster. And a lot of my clients do this with themselves at work, right? And so they're like, oh my God, I have to get ahead. There's so much to do. I'm behind. And they end up working so much that then at night, food is kind of this, well, I deserve this reward, right? But the eating is a behavior as a result of doing all this competing, which, again, has gotten them very far in their career um, or has made them a rock star in some sort of way, yet is now costing them. And so that then these behaviors that we do, while they're protecting us, they end up creating a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure or of things falling apart or frustrating ourselves to death or feeling alone. Um, so we end up experiencing our biggest fears of being rejected, of failure. And then we feel even more powerless because now this has been a pattern that is happening for, for 
years. Um, and then we eat because we think we don't have any more choices. This is who I am. This is how the world is. But we've really been framing it based on an old protective mechanism that has that has outlived its usefulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I took the the survey um, or the quiz rather on your website, and um, I came up with the avoider uh, <gasps> stress response. And like, I definitely am one of those people that like I'll turn to food if I'm stressed out, if I'm overwhelmed, if I'm afraid of failing, um, you know, feeling like I'm, you know, sort of the imposter syndrome. Like if I have any insecurity whatsoever about what I'm doing. I'll go, you know, I must be hungry or I need that cup of coffee or whatever. And that's, um, yeah, interestingly enough, um, like part of my transition to the intuitive eating stuff was, you know, from a very restrictive diet and what I realized from that diet was that, um, like, you know, so I'm transitioning to intuitive eating and I don't want to fall back into these patterns while the old the other diet was based on like this food addiction model. And I came to realize that I don't, I don't think I was actually addicted to the food, but I was addicted to the behaviors that led me to use food. And I think that sort of speaks to some of the stress response stuff that you're talking about, that people get so ingrained in their behaviors and food just tends to be the outlet that they go to. Does that, is that your experience with sort of the food addiction type stuff? Yes. And I'm so glad that you took the quiz and that that resonated because if we can even start to to label it, we get a little bit distance, right? Our nervous system can calm down a little bit. Yeah. I actually don't believe in food addiction. I um, That is something that may be controversial. I know that companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars, right? <laughs> to, to light up our dope, the dopamine center in our brain, which is the reward center of our brain. Um, but what there, what, to your point, what's really happening is food is rewarding us for, um, for not for food. What is happening is food is rewarding us for not staying with discomfort. It's saying good for you for not staying with this doubt, this uncertainty, this, this loneliness and good for you for eating. Um, and when you look at holistic addiction models, one of my favorite studies is, I'm forgetting the psychologist's name. He's Canadian, I believe. But, and, and I don't know if you've heard of this study, but he did a study with rats. And in one, he had two different rat cages and he put, I believe it was sugar, um, which is even more addictive than some drugs in the, in the feed. And in one of the cages, it was just like one rat by itself. And it was like cement. There were no toys, nothing. And in the other, the other cage, there were other rats around. They had like their, their spinning wheels, they had carpet. And what he found was both had the same amount of quote unquote addictive substance, but the, the rats that had each other, the rats that had toys that had a comfortable environment they would sip it and then they were done with it. But the rat in the cage that was by itself, um, like had felt like it had no community, no sense of belonging and, and food and weight issues are a lot about belonging. He was addicted. He was addicted and he couldn't stop eating it. And I just don't, I think again, because we're such a literal culture, we're only looking at the surface of things and saying, you have an addiction. It's like, why is why are we more addicted? Like what has changed in our culture and our society? We don't we're not near our family of origins anymore. We're 
it's a big transition time. We're being forced to, to, to look at people who live differently than us. I think that's very exciting, but if, you know, it's, but it also takes us away from quote unquote, that tribal, um, that tribal evolutionary way that we've lived. Um, but we can form new sense of belonging around shared values versus just what we were told we should believe, you know, kind of going off. But I think that when we tell people what, what happens too, is the more stress you are under, the more you need to eat to be to be reward to feel rewarded by food and when we don't conquer the stress and everyone you go to your doctor or you l- listen to any any health study they'll be like oh yeah stress man- stress management but no one tells you what does that even mean what does that even look like and the more stress you get the more you need to eat to get that reward and so i really look at this much more holistically and i don't it's like people are stressed out but we need to conquer the stress because the stress is also why they feel powerless. <laughs> and we need to focus on that because in that powerlessness, often we also isolate ourselves. And so we don't have the belonging that we need. Um, and belonging, I, you know, I, 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 my clients tend to be more rebel thinkers, individualistics. They don't, they tend to not be group people. I'm not saying groups that you need to like love groups. You know, we joke we're bad joiners. But this sense of emotional intimacy of people who you can be the, quote, real you before you lose 30 pounds with, right? And this prevents people from dating. This prevents people from taking risks. This prevents people from asking for help. All of this kind of stuff is the real issue. Um, But to your point, yes, we are addicted to, and I I wouldn't even say addicted, they're protective. Mm. These behaviors are protective. And they have served really, really wonderful, brilliant purposes. I bet in your past, and you don't have to share online, but if you think of a time that was a lot of self-doubt or a lot of uncertainty, I bet avoiding was a really brilliant, um, brilliant resource mm-hmm. when, you, when you were younger. Would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but you're right. I'm going to avoid going into that in the context of this this podcast because we could be here all night. <laughs> um, so I want, I guess there's a couple of things I want to um, sort of touch on before we wrap up. And, um, and it may be that the two of these, there's sort of three things. And it might be that two of these things are more just, uh, you know, if you are looking for more information about how to approach this, you know, do you have a resource type thing that you could share? But you mentioned like when you sort of jumping back to the food piece for just a second, you mentioned that when you do start with people and you're talking about food type things, you, you encourage them to look at like blood sugar and gut health. And those are things that have definitely come up in the Facebook group. And so I'm curious, like, if you have any like go-to resource that like if somebody feels like their blood sugar is out of whack and doesn't know how to get a grasp on that, or if they're not sure if their gut health is in check, like how do you, what, how do you, where, where would you direct someone if they were looking to look into that specific thing? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I always, you know, my podcast has, um, because I don't believe, uh, in one diet for everyone, I take a very experimental approach. Um, And I think a lot of people sometimes think they're experimenting if they're doing Weight Watchers or if they're doing keto, but I'm talking about experimenting across the diet spectrum. So um, my podcast talks about this a lot, but I also have a Freedom from Cravings program where what we do is you, you, you do a vegetarian breakfast, you do a Mediterranean breakfast, and you do a paleo breakfast (laughs) to give you kind of a baseline on the spectrum of 
what is working best for you at breakfast? And then we tweak it. Then you experiment at lunch because what people don't understand with blood sugar is they think it's this complicated thing. And, you know, when you go to the doctor, they will get, again, medicine does not teach us in a way that's actually motivating for adults. <laughs> so I just kind of have to put that out there. Experimenting is like a great resource to do for yourself um, because, you know, I've had doctors and nurses who are clients working with diabetics and they didn't even know how how blood sugar was <laughs> happening in their own lives because we're not taught this. And so I think maybe taking a step back is how you eat for one meal sets you up for the next three to four hours, two to four hours, I would say, depending on how resilient your blood sugar is. But people think that, so you can try each of this on your own, or, you know, if you do my program, I've done, I've done the experimental work for you to tell you what to look for. But if you cannot make it for a couple of hours and you're feeling spacey and that you have cravings or that you're hungry, um, that's a sign that that kind of diet isn't working for you. Mm -hmm. We're taught that hunger only shows up in our stomach, but the body needs to be nourished so that it can be focused and energized and calm and content. Mm -hmm. So I really have people experiment, but then tie it not to if you've been good or bad, or if you have stayed in your macros, but how do you feel? And again, starting to tune internally rather than attune to what does this look like? Is this good or bad? Am I good or bad? Like my body will tell me, and that's part of reestablishing that trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that and then I just I I mean my podcast has done a ton of episodes on um, gut health. I think episode eleven of Insatiable or twelve episode eleven or twelve of gut. It's all on gut health. Um, but the thing that I I really want to emphasize because gut health and blood sugar are really popular right now, especially in the functional medicine communities. Um, but I don't want people to overcomplicate it. Like at the end of the day most people, and this is so unsensational, which is why it's kind of, it's kind of like financial advice. Like you just have to like, (laughs) I mean, you kind of just have to save and like, you know, invest in the stock market or or whatever. Like it's, it's slow and steady wins the race, right? It's not like, but most people are going to do really well on, on, undramatically in the middle on a Mediterranean diet where about 30% of their meal is protein, about 30% is fat and about 40% is um, carbs um, as in relation to calories. I don't count calories, but sometimes it can be helpful for people when they're learning this. Um, but eating plant-based with a little bit of you know meat and healthy fats, um, and you don't have to eat meat at every meal, but eating a lot of vegetables, like and 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 carbs. A lot of women, especially, need carbs at certain times. Um, I don't know if I'm going off on a tangent, but like. That's how I have people start there, but really feel it for yourself because when you feel it for yourself and you're like, oh my God, this is making my life easier because I'm not crashing at my desk at 10 or 3 p.m. The incentive again comes from, wow, I want to feel good rather than I'm being good, which sounds like a small, subtle difference, but it is worlds apart. (laughs) No, that, that resonates with me and the, you know, experimenting. I, um, like I sort of have a, a fluid start time to my my eating window because I am trying to approach my into my intermittent fasting very intuitively. But I found that when I open my window with a lot of carbs, um, I will crash like a couple hours later, and I will be really falling asleep at my desk. And what I have found is that if I have like vegetables with a healthy fat that it gets me through to dinner without needing that coffee boost. And I've, 
I've experimented a little bit where one day I'll have like pasta leftovers from dinner and lo and behold, a couple hours later, like I need a pick me up. And I think that's the kind of experimenting you're talking about, just like those day-to-day observations and, you know, putting the pieces together and, um, and then, you know, tweaking it and seeing if something changes and kind of just going with the flow and experimenting a little bit. Exactly. And I mean, so now do you feel like you need someone to tell you to eat fat and veggies every day? Or are you just like, okay, maybe if I'm having a bad day, cause I'm avoiding a bad morning, cause I'm avoiding, I'm going to eat the carbs, but that's like a different issue than how do I balance my blood sugar? Like you figure that out. You can trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your body. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's definitely, you know, a journey that is not, it's not like a one day, like you flip the switch and then tomorrow I'm like, you know, a perfect intuitive eater, or, you know, that I have, you know, true food, food, food freedom or anything. Like it's, it's a journey. And, um, you know, as I, as my body changes, like things are going to change and I have to be willing to sort of work with that as I go, which is part of the reason why it was so important to me to, you know, stop trying to follow somebody else's rules and really learn how to, you know, listen to myself. Um, yes. And, and let me tell you, it's, it is like, that is a radical act to trust yourself because we are, we're, we're in this era where it's like hierarchy top down. I mean, it's crumbling, but like you can trust your body, right? Like we are taught, we can't do that, that we, that we have to listen to other people. And then these people who say that we're addicted to food, it's like, oh my God, no, no, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like those people have internalized their own um, their own issues and they're projecting them onto everybody else sometimes. Um, and you just, you, you can learn to trust your body and it's, it will, it, the, the ricochet, the ripple ricochet effect of trusting ourselves leads out into so many areas of our life, including when we feel the doubt and we want to avoid or whatnot. It's, it's all part of the same source of wholeness. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And if people want to, learn more about you and your work. Can you tell us how people would find you, like your website, where you are on social media? Yeah. So I always recommend everyone start with the quiz because you'll know quickly, like if this is for you or not. <laughs> um, but at Ali Shapiro, A-L-I-S-H-A-P-I-R-O.com, you can take the quiz to find out your stress response. Um, so you can start to really have clarity. Clarity is a process and a tool because a lot of people are just really are convinced that it's the food is the issue or not, and it's not the emotions. But if you start to understand your stress response in relation to whatever derails you, <laughs> um, and and when you take the quiz, there's a, a secret podcast episode to give you some tools to stop getting out, to start immediately getting out of the stress responses. Mm. Um, so I recommend people start there. Um, and then the Insatiable podcast, which is on iTunes, you know, Spotify, Google Play, all places that... Um, podcasts are found. And then most of the time these days I'm hanging out on Instagram and I'm at Ali, A-L-I-M Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O. Um, and that's where I post a lot of, uh, the health stuff and, <laughs> and other stuff that I'm fired up about. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, thank you again for taking time to connect with me tonight. And, um, I will definitely, um, you know, share the, our interview out with, with my, with my tribe and, um, really looking forward to hearing people's feedback on, on our conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, again, I think you and I are in the minority of, Hey, you can trust yourself and experiment. So thank you. (laughs) You are very welcome. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. If you would like to join in a community of like-minded fasters, uh, come on over to the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group and join the conversation there. I look forward to seeing you. Just answer a few questions and I'll let you in the group and you can be a part of the amazing community that I'm building. Uh, And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you.